Thanks for checking out our weekly podcast. Our mission at Grace is to help people worship God, connect to others, and serve both. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. For more information about Grace, you can follow us on Facebook or check out our website at experiencegrace.church. There's some stories uh, about some of the old-time preachers, like uh, my daughter is up at Moody, and uh, there's stories about guys like D.L. Moody and Charles Spurgeon and some guys like that, that when they would speak in those days, they didn't, didn't have amplification, and so they, many of them would preach till their, their voices would give out, sometimes blood and that kind of thing. I promise you, this is not going to happen today, all right? Uh, so we're going to be in Luke chapter, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4. We've been in Luke for the last five, uh, four weeks, but uh, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4. And as uh, we're thinking uh, about this new series that we're going to start today, especially thinking about this with it being New Year's Eve, thinking about New Year's resolutions. Anybody at least thought about a New Year's resolution over the last week or so? You know, when we start talking about that, people kind of get uncomfortable, right? Because so many of us have tried this whole thing out, and we know how it, how it tends to go, Right? We, uh, we get all excited, you know, it's like Planet Fitness and, and other gyms are putting all their advertisements out there like, I'm getting in shape this year. And about January 15th, that fades out, right? I'm going to read my Bible all the way through this year. So we download an app, we get a Bible reading plan or maybe get an old-fashioned one that you check it off and we don't even make it out of Genesis. There's 50 chapters in Genesis, right? But um, we know how it tends to go. We fail at those things so often. Uh, it shouldn't be that hard. You know, the, 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 the right thing seems to always be the most difficult thing, right? Uh, and the easiest thing usually is, is the worst thing for us. I mean, we think about exercising, it's hard. When you think about what we've eaten over the last week, how many of you guys would say that you have consumed a lot of terrible things in the last week or so, yeah? At the end of each day this last week, I would look at my wife and go, I'm so tired. And she'd say, I wonder why. <laughs> After consuming all that sugar and all those carbs and everything else, right? You, 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 most people are not gathering around the Christmas dinner to consume kale. You know, get excited about that. The good things for you are usually not the, the easiest things. They're the worst things, you know? Uh, it's interesting that when we think about the things in our lives that we need to adjust, you know, when we think about the resolutions that we know we need to make, we fall so short of where we should be. And the truth of the matter is that as believers, you know, you'd think we have this knocked out. Like believers, we got faith, right? We ought to be able to accomplish more. We ought to have more willpower, and we ought to have more uh, uh, consistency and discipline because we've got Jesus in our corner. But like, if we were honest, there's really not that big of a difference between the struggles that we have as believers and those as unbelievers. And it leaves us wondering, like, are certain verses in the Bible even true? Like this passage in 2 Corinthians 5 that says, um, with a cool background in the back, that's probably my fault. I did that. Sorry, JJ. Uh, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Uh, you look at a passage like that and you say, well, we're in Christ. Like old things are supposed to pass away and you know, all things are supposed to be new. But that's not true for me. New Year's resolutions are just as difficult for me as they are for others. So how can we claim as Christ followers that Jesus has changed our lives, but our lives oftentimes really aren't that different from unbelievers? 
Today we're going to start a new series of messages as we walk through Ephesians 4, and we're going to call it this. We're going to call it Made New. Uh, And we're going to talk about what it looks like to be made new in Christ. And when you think about being made new, rolling into a new year, we tend to think about all the things that we know need to be made new. I need to be back in church. I need to be out of debt. I need to start a diet, get in shape, get away from bad influences, read my Bible, work on my marriage, help my kids. Whatever it may be, there's a ton of things that we could say that we need to work on. And to be real tempting as a pastor to go to a passage of scripture and say, that's right, we do need to work on those things, guys, so let's, let's do that, and almost be like a cheerleader, you know, like, all right, guys, we can do it. God's going to help us, and we're going to do it this year. 2024 is going to be like nothing before, you know, or whatever, some catchy thing, but the, the truth of the matter is that I can try to motivate you, and other people can say things that we hope would inspire us to think that it's going to be different this time. Deep down, there's something inside of us that's saying, Who am I kidding? I've tried this before, and it didn't work. The message of Ephesians 4 is not about trying harder. It's not about self-discipline, positive thinking, or a stronger will. Being made new in Ephesians 4 is really not about us at all. It's not about our power, but it is about God, and it's about his power. Because the things that need to be made new in our lives, when we look at those, the things that we are able to change in our own power are explainable. You can look at it and go, the reason I was able to do that was because I, boom, 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 or because they, boom, boom, boom. But the things that God does are unexplainable. They are supernatural. And the changes that God wants to make in our lives are the things that we cannot will to happen. When you look at this picture that we use for made new, there's a picture of a butterfly there. Um, let's see how many of you guys did well in science. What was that butterfly before it was a butterfly? A worm. Close. You need to work on that one, Alan. Uh, <laughs> it, it was a caterpillar, which is also known as a worm in central Illinois. Um, but it was a caterpillar. And when you, when you look at that caterpillar, it starts out in the shape that it's in, and it eventually becomes this. Now, a caterpillar didn't have to work hard to, become a, a, a meta, a, to have this metamorphosis to become a butterfly. There are certain things it did, but ultimately, it wasn't the work that it did. It was the supernatural way that God designed that, but, that worm, uh, that caterpillar, to be turned into that butterfly. Like, we could try to do all the things that the, that the caterpillar does. Like, how many of you guys like to wrap yourselves up really tight in a cocoon when you go to bed at night? You like the sheets tight, you tuck them in. Anybody? How many of you guys wish you still had somebody come tuck you in at nighttime, right? That kind of thing. Like, you can get tucked up in a cocoon, and you can try real hard and say, I'm going to wake up as a butterfly. <laughs> okay, right? It sounds even, it, it sounds foolish to even use that as an illustration, but how true is that with, the, with, the, with, the, with the, the metamorphosis that takes place between a caterpillar and a butterfly? Our attempts to change the things in our lives that need to be changed can oftentimes leave us frustrated. It can oftentimes lead to failure and disappointment, but God's way leads to a new us. It makes us new. So when we come to Ephesians 4, we're going to look at this passage and see how we can be made new. But it's important, just like any other passage of Scripture, to make sure that we study the passage in its context. So since we're picking up in chapter 4, there's three other chapters that we need to talk about. We're not going to walk through all of that. I encourage you to read that on your own and be reading Ephesians 4 over these next few weeks and, and follow along with us in this. But just as a background to understand what's going on, Paul is writing this letter, 
Anybody know where Paul is writing the letter from? Not Starbucks. Some of you were thinking that. He wasn't sitting in Starbucks. Where was he sitting? He was sitting in in prison. Yeah, he was in jail, right? And he's in jail. He's writing this letter, and he's writing it to this group of people that lived in the city of Ephesus. The city of Ephesus at that time was probably the, the most ungodly city of their day. What would you say is the most ungodly city of our day? So I just figured somebody would say Las Vegas, right? It, but here's the thing about their, in their day. We try to say, oh, things are worse than they've ever been. But it was pretty bad back then. You've heard of the, the eight wonders of the world, right? Well, I guess there's seven. Andre the Giant was the eighth one. You remember that. I was a wrestling guy back in the day. But um, one of the seven wonders of the world was a temple that was in Ephesus, and it was a temple that was built to a goddess by the name of Diana. There are stories about that in the book of Acts, and they're really interesting when you go back and look and see how Paul almost died uh, there in that temple. But it was at that temple that they would offer sacrifices to this God, and many of those sacrifices were sexual sacrifices, and there was many ungodly things that I wouldn't even talk about in this room that were taking place in that city. And here are these people that had gotten saved. They had believed the gospel. They had been made new. They're, so they're saved out of that, that uh, culture, but they were still surrounded by that culture. And that culture continued to have influence on them. Are you tracking with me? I, I think we can understand how that was happening at Ephesus because that continues to happen here. We may not be as far down the road as they were in that day, but there are still wicked things around us, ungodliness around us. Our society is becoming increasingly uh, more God-less. I mean, how many of you have ever been looked down upon because you believe what the Bible teaches? Uh, you say you believe the scriptures, you pray, and people think you're a weirdo, you know, because we're increasingly moving away from faith in our culture. And that's where they were. Paul here is writing this letter to these people, and he could have just listed all the areas that they needed to, needed to be made new in. He could have very easily just said, all right, guys, here's what you need to do, and started in chapter one and said, do this, do this, do this, and do that. But that's not what he does, because number one, he's writing under inspiration of the Spirit of God. God is moving him and showing him what to write. But number two, uh, he understood that it is truth that sets us free. And in the first three chapters of Ephesians, he talks about salvation and forgiveness. He talks about what it means to be sealed with the Spirit of God. He explained to them that if they have believed the gospel, they're saved, they're secure, they're forgiven, they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. They have hope, and, and they were saints in the eyes of God. Paul understood that truth sets us free. That's what set us free in regards to salvation, right? Because I came to the realization that I'm a sinner, and as a sinner, I deserve punishment for my sin. I deserve to be separated from God. But the truth is that, yes, I'm a sinner, but God loved me as a sinner so much that he sent his son down to earth. He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross and took my sins upon him on the cross. And then he died for me. Three days later, he arose. And if I would simply believe that he was my sacrifice, then not only did he take my sins upon himself, but he gives me his righteousness, and I am completely forgiven if I will simply believe the gospel. Truth sets us free in regards to salvation and sin. The truth also sets us free when it comes to being made new. So after three chapters of doctrine, three chapters of truth, he comes to chapter four, and he starts in verse number one by saying this. Therefore, because of all this truth that we've just walked through in the first three chapters, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, 
beseech you. Now, when he says beseech, that word means beg. I'm begging you to do something. And he very easily could have said, I beg you to change this and change that. But he, made it, he summarized it all by saying, I want you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. When he's talking about walking worthy, he's talking about their lifestyle. And when he says walking worthy of the vocation wherewith they're called, that word vocation and the word called at the end of the, that verse, when you look at their language, it's actually, uh, they have the same root word. It's a very similar word. So essentially what he's telling us, he says, I want you to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. What do you think he's talking about, this call that's been put on him? Look at it in its context. He just talked about the first three chapters. What are we talking about? Salvation, who we are in Christ, what happened when we got saved. We're sealed with the Spirit and all those things. And now after he gives them this truth, he says, now what I want you to do is I want you to walk like you're a Christian. Walk like you're different. In other words, he's saying live a life that matches who you are in Jesus. You're in Christ, you're a new creature, you have this new identity, now live a life that is consistent with who you are in Christ. I remember the day that I got saved. I remember the day I believed the gospel. I grew up in church, I had heard the story about Jesus so many times, and, and I believed that there was a God, and I believed that Jesus died on the cross, I believed that he rose from the dead, but I never understood all of it. The, 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 the dots were never connected for me. Um, I remember going to a, a funeral one time, it was at a Catholic church, and the Catholic priest at the funeral gave the gospel. He talked about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but he never connected the dots, like why Jesus went through all of it. And I remember thinking, you were so close, just tell them why Jesus did all of that, you know? As a young boy, I remember the night that I got saved where God connected the dots for me. Like, I, I, I remember more than anything, it was, it, I mean, just to be transparent with you, it was fear. I understood. I was convicted. I knew I was a sinner. Like, it hit me that night, like, not only are you a sinner, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Like, not only am I a sinner, but I deserve hell for my sins. The wages of sin is death. And I can remember having an understanding of what hell was. You know, there's fire and damnation, wailing and gnashing of teeth. And as just a young boy, it scared me because I knew, according to the scriptures, what I deserved. But I was so glad that the pastor didn't stop there and just say that that's what we deserve. He says, but the good news is that Jesus loved you anyway. And Jesus came, he died on the cross, he's buried, he rose again. And if you'll just believe the gospel, you'll be saved. All you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord and believe that he is the only way. And I was like, sign me up, right? I, yeah, I absolutely went in on that. And I went into the nursery with my parents and my parents led me to Christ. And I'll never forget that day. And many of you have been there before. And many of us know other people that have been there before where they have, you have believed the gospel. And many of us, it was a similar motivation. Like, I don't want to go to hell, so yeah, I'm going to believe Jesus. And for many people, that's kind of the end of it. And for lack of a better term, it's kind of like it's just fire insurance. Like, okay, so now I don't have to burn forever, so I'm good. And what Paul is Writing to the church at Ephesus, he's saying, look, yeah, when you believe the gospel, he saved you from hell. Thank God for that. He also gave you a new identity. If any man's in Christ, he is a new creature. There should be a metamorphosis that is taking place. You should be being made new. This should be happening. And in this verse, he's telling us, you're a new person. Start living your life in such a way that matches what Jesus has done in your heart. 
Jesus's, excuse me, before I get to that, I think of the reason that Jesus saved us. He saved us so that we can walk worthy, right? He saved us so that we can be different, so that we can be that light in the darkness that people can see that we are following Christ and that Jesus is the answer. There's an intention there. It's kind of like with Christmas. Uh, It was about 10 years ago or so, my father-in-law, Frank, uh, Misty's dad, told us that he wasn't going to buy the kids presents anymore. And we were like, dude, come on, seriously, what are we supposed to do? If you're not buying them presents, that means we have to buy them more, you know? And so he said, no, I'm not going to stop buying them presents. He said, I'd rather give them experiences. And I said, tell me more. And so he said, we're not going to buy them gifts. We're going to start just giving you cash. And I was like, sign me up, right? I'm going to just give them cash, and you can use that cash to go on a trip with them every year. And so he would give us enough money that uh, for quite a few years, uh, because our kids were homeschooled, we'd wait till all your other kids were in school, and then we'd go up to the water parks in uh, Wisconsin Dells, you know, the indoor water parks in the wintertime, and uh, we spent time at the Kalahari and the wilderness, you know, and all the cool places up there and had a great time, and it was all on grandpa's dime, you know, I was, sign me up for that, I love it, you know, it was exciting, we had some great memories, but when I think about him giving us that gift, he he was so looking forward to the kids being able to experience that. He looked forward to getting the pictures that we'd send to him, like, hey, you made this possible, and you got Andrew playing the fool, you know, uh, on the water slide or something, just having a good time. But what if I would have told Frank, like, hey, Frank, I know you wanted us to do something with that money, but we really had, we had some bills to pay, so I just went ahead and paid some bills with that. Anybody ever paid their bills with Christmas gifts? Yeah, we've, there have been times where we've had to do that, too. But let's say I took Frank's money, I said, Frank, we just decided we were gonna, we were gonna pay bills with that. Or I needed some new tools, so I, I bought some new tools with it. Do you think Frank might be a little upset? Would you be a little upset? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, because that wasn't the intention of it. And, and, and that's kind of what we see taking place in this, this, this turn from chapters one through three to chapters four. He's like, look, here's what needs to happen. You, the reason I saved you was so that your life would be different. The reason I've changed you is so that you would be Change. The reason I made you new is so that you could be made new, right? And so he's pointing out to us here that the way this happens is the same way that we got saved. And many believers miss this. After entering into a relationship with Jesus through grace, we tend to revert to a works mentality in our attempt to live out this new life. One person put it this way. They said, his grace is not only the basis for our salvation, but also the basis for our transformation. And that's why I want to preface this as we begin to jump into what it looks like to be made new. Um, It's going to be the same way that we got saved. It's doing it by grace through faith, believing that Jesus is the one that's going to change my heart, change my life, and, and ultimately, he's going to live his life through me. Now, that sounds like spiritualese. It sounds like religious preacher talk when we talk about Jesus living his life through us and making us new, being conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, but it's more than just that. As a matter of fact, um, he gives an explanation of what it looks like to walk worthy of the calling wherewith we've been called. He gives us an explanation of what it looks like to walk by faith. And it's not by giving us a list of things to do. It's not by giving us activities, but rather being made new starts in our relationships. Being made new starts in our relationships. And that's what we're going to see in verse number two. True change in the life of a believer starts with how we treat others. The way we 
speak about others, the way we interact with others, the way we think about others, others in public, others in private, even in our own homes. It takes faith for us to do what God is going to ask us to do in this passage. And if we will believe that God will do a supernatural work as we follow him in this, we will allow him to begin to work through us, specifically in relationships, but even more specifically in difficult relationships. How many of you guys have a relationship in your life that you would consider difficult? It might be someone at home, it might be a kid, it might be a parent, it might be a neighbor, it might be a coworker, it might be a fellow church member, it might be uh, anywhere. It might be someone that you're driving next to. Anybody ever have a bad relationship with someone you're driving next to? Anybody ever when you're driving, you're ever always surrounded by stupid people? Anyone ever feel that way? Yeah. So when we look at being made new, we look at walking worthy of this calling that's been put on us, living a life that's consistent with who we are in Christ, what does that look like? He tells us in verse number two. Verse number two says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. All four of the things that he lists us for us here in terms of walking worthy of the vocation worth we're called, all four of them have to do with our relationships, lowliness in our relationships, meekness in our relationships, long-suffering and forbearing. So let's start with the first one that he gives us. We need to walk with lowliness. This idea of lowliness is, it carries the idea of just being humble. It's a, a focus on others rather than ourselves. You remember when they came to Jesus, they said, Jesus, what's the most important law? There are 613 of them. Which one's which one is the most important? You remember what Jesus said? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and might. And what is the second one? It's like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He says these, everything, all the other laws and commands, they hung on those two things. And lowliness is that. It is showing love to others by putting them first. Now remember what we said about doing the right thing. It's not always the easy thing. It's not always easy to put others first. Anybody go to the Festival of Lights this year? If you went to the Festival of Lights, you know Springfield Road can get a little bit backed up. We went on a night where it wasn't backed up, and we got right in, but there was a line of cars there, and there's just one, that one little shack where you have to pay, but they line everybody up in, in two rows. You remember what I'm talking about? So we're in the, the church van because I had a whole load of family with us, and uh, we're in the right lane, and uh, as we were getting closer, when two lanes come down to one, in case you weren't paying attention in driver's ed, that's called merging. Anyone familiar with the concept? Typically, the way it works is one car goes, then the next car goes. One car goes, and then the next car goes. You ever seen how that works? If you get real professional, they call it the zipper, right? One, then the other. Well, I'm noticing that as we're getting closer, I'm supposed to be behind that car. I'm the next one, and the guy behind him is about six inches from the bumper of the car that I'm supposed to be in, or the, the, where I'm supposed to be. And I was starting to get a little bit flustered in my mind, <laughs> And I was thinking, I, I, was, I was trying to, I was thinking, Josh, don't get worked up. This is supposed to be a family thing. Josh, don't get worked up. You don't want to start a fight at Festival of Lights, especially if you're driving a church van. They didn't know it was a church van. There's a reason we don't have the name of our church on the van, all right? <laughs> I'm being serious. It's so... But as we're, we're waiting, waiting, and I, I'm thinking, don't, don't lose it, you know. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking, who does this? Like, are you in that big of a hurry? We're all going to drive two miles an hour anyway through this whole thing. you got to get in front of me. And in my mind, I'm playing it out. And, so, and about that time, as I'm getting all worked up, God's like, you better settle down, bud. And I was like, okay. 
All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to start inching over there, because that's what you do. Everybody else do that too, when they're not going to let you in? I start coming over, and he's either going to get hit or get out of the way, right? So I said, I'm just going to try to come over, and if he presses the issue, I'll just let him go. And uh, then I'll pray that God curses him. Um, Just kidding. And thankfully, as I started to come over, he slowed down, and it wasn't a big deal, and nothing happened with it. I don't think my family noticed that I was flustered, thank the Lord. Uh, But that was taking place in my mind. Um, When we see this word lowliness, it literally means lowliness of mind or lowliness in thought. It carries this idea of not only thinking about yourself, but thinking about the other person. And if you're wired like me in any way, shape, or form, when someone does something stupid like that, you automatically assume they are jerks. You automatically assume they are out to get me. You automatically assume, who do they think they are? Do they think they're better than me? And listen, I'm not just talking about in regards to driving next to other people, but this is what happens in our relationships that are fractured in our, in our homes. This is what happens in our relationships that are fractured in our neighborhoods and in our places of work and oftentimes even in churches is when we have some kind of friction with someone, we automatically think the worst about them. But what he's calling us to do here is rather than seeing yourself as better than them, because ultimately that's what you're doing, I would never act like that. I wouldn't do that. But what he says, bring yourself lower, be humble and consider Maybe there's a reason they're doing what they're doing. Um, I don't think this one's live, so I can say it on camera. There was a lady that came to our church for a number of years, and my mom told me later, she said, I couldn't stand that woman. (laughs) Yeah, don't tell mom I told you that. Um, No, I said in the first service, too. She was here. But um, she said, I couldn't stand that woman. She, and she kind of, you know, described the way that she was. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of the way she was. And my, my mom and her just the personalities did not mesh. And mom was just like, I can't stand her. I can't stand to be around her. I just want to leave, you know, and all that other kind of stuff. Well, then mom was forced. I can't remember what happened, but she was forced to spend some time with this lady. And she found out how the lady grew up. She met the lady's mother. Do I need to say any more? <laughs> you know what I mean? She met this lady's mom, learned, learned about some of the things that that lady had been through, and then mom understood why the lady acted the way she acted. And mom would tell you even now that she's one of my closer friends. I enjoy being around this lady. She doesn't attend our church anymore, but she said, I enjoy being around her. And the only difference was there was some lowliness there. She considered the other person. Isn't that what the Bible says? Look not, look, look not upon your own things, but every man also on the things of others. That's what lowliness is. Rather than assuming the worst, we give others the benefit of the doubt. You see, humility has little to do with your feelings, and it has a lot to do with your focus. And when we begin to make a conscious effort out of our love for Jesus to serve others by giving them the benefit of the doubt and trying to hear their story and trying to understand where they're coming from, we'll discover that Jesus will begin to manifest his life and power through you. And that's what we saw take place with my mom. She's friends with this lady that drove her nuts, right? And it's because God did a supernatural work there. Not only does he talk about lowliness here, but he also talks about uh, meekness. Meekness is... 
being gentle. Meekness is, has this idea of being considerate. Um, it is having power, but that power is under control. Uh, an example of meekness would be if someone has been rude to you and you just decide, I'm going to let them know how I feel. And you take your phone out and your thumbs burn up the front of your phone. Anyone ever done that before? And you, send, you type up a text, or maybe it's not a text, maybe it's an email. And you're typing it up and you're like, I'm just going to give them, I'm going to tell them everything that I've been thinking and I'm going to get it. And then you're about to hit the send button and the Holy Spirit says, hold on. And you're like, all right, fine. Delete, 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 delete. Has anyone ever done that before? That's meekness. Meekness is when you just, you go, you see someone that you know has been mean to you, and you're like, now's my chance. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. And you go over there, and instead of giving them a piece of your mind, you show them civility. You show them love. You show them kindness. It's the exact opposite of what we want to do. But whenever we begin to do what we know is right, the Holy Spirit of God begins to do a supernatural work. Because here's the thing, guys. That which comes natural is not supernatural. And if it's natural for us to blow people up and assume the worst about others, and if it's natural for us to just always walk around like an angry elf, listen, you're going to get what comes with that. But when we begin to exercise faith and show this meekness, that's when we begin to see God do these supernatural things. Here's a supernatural thought. Jesus says to bless those that persecute you and pray for those that despitefully use you. Instead of telling them off, why not pray for them? Why not bless them? Why not step back into that lowliness of mind that he was talking about there and say, maybe there's a reason they're acting this way. Maybe there's something in their lives that I don't know about that's weighing heavy on them. Maybe they had some bad news, or maybe they had someone mistreat them, or maybe this is going on. I'm going to recognize I don't know what they need, but I know God knows what they need. I don't know what they need to be set straight, but I know God knows what, what they need to be set straight. So I'm going to exercise faith in my Savior, and I'm going to say, God, I'm not going to do what I want to do. I'm going to trust that you'll take care of them, and I pray that you would bless them with what they really need. I think they need told off. I think they need something thrown at them. I think they need hit in the head with a two-by-four. So if you need help, God, just let me know, you know. Uh, but I'm going to trust you with this by showing lowliness by showing meekness, by exercising faith in Christ. Of course, that leads us to the question, well, how long do I have to do this for? Which leads to the next one, not only with meekness, but with long-suffering. You don't have to be an English major to understand suffering long. Another word for that is patience. This whole thing of long-suffering carries the idea of a long fuse, Anybody uh, ever been outside of the state of Illinois and seen these things called firecrackers before? Uh, you guys ever seen those? When I was a kid, you'd pull them out of the wrapper, and I was always too, too uh, impatient to unwrap the little string around all of it, so I'd just pull them out, and some of them had a, a wick on it that was like that long, a fuse that was, you know, real short. How many of you guys throw those away because your mom said don't mess with them if they're too dangerous? I was lighting it, light it, throw it, light it, throw it, and that's why I don't have my finger, but... Um, 
No, but when, when, you, when, you, when, you, when we see this word that's used here for long-suffering, it has the idea of having a long fuse. It's the long fuse on the firecracker where you light it and you go around to your sister and your mom and you act like you're going to throw it at them and get them freaked out because you've got all the time in the world to, before that thing blows up, right? And that's what this is here, long-suffering. It's having this, this idea of, uh, of when someone is, is, is mistreating you that you show them patience, patience and you're reluctant to take personal offense to it. And by the way, if we're following this pattern that he's given us here for walking worthy of the vocation worth we're called, if I am considering them first by showing lowliness, if I am considering their story, and then I'm showing meekness, I'm trusting God to take care of them since I can't, then it's going to be a lot easier to show patience with them, right? But if I bypass those other two, then it's going to be very difficult to show patience with them. The last one, just real quick is this, it's forbearing one another in love. This is that, just that idea of putting up with other people, their quirks, their failures, their selfishness, whatever it may be. But notice the reasoning behind it. We forbear one another in love. We do it out of love for Jesus and love for others, which all the commands hang on those, those two commands. When I can't see where they're coming from, when I don't know their story, I'm still going to put up with them. I'm going to forbear. I'm going to put it off till later. I'm going to have that long fuse. I'm going to show meekness. I'm going to show lowliness. And the reason I do it is love. What is love? Giving others what they need the most when they deserve it the least at great personal sacrifice. That's what Jesus did for us, and he asked us to do that for others. Being made new is not about getting more of God. It is about God getting more of us. And I think every one of us would like to be made new in some area of our lives in this new year. Many of the areas that we would like to see change in, many of the areas that we'd like to see made new revolve around relationships. I mean, it's cool to get in shape and it's cool to lose weight and it's cool to, you know, not be in debt and all that other stuff. But a lot of us, we just love to have some peace in our relationships. We'd love to have our joy back. We'd love to be able to experience gentleness and patience and love. Listen, all of those things that we desire in our relationships, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, meekness, temperance, all those things, you know what those are? They're characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. Remember what we said at the beginning? The only way to be made new is not by trying harder. You can't become a butterfly. You can't do it on your own. It's a metamorphosis. It's a supernatural thing. But as I show lowliness, as I show meekness, as I uh, am, am forbearing one another in love, as I'm long-suffering or patient, patient, God begins to do this transforming where he's making us not into a butterfly, but he transforms us into the image of his son. And he, he produces the work of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit in our lives, which are those things that we so badly desire. What we can do is we can trust God. We can have faith in God. And that's not that spiritualist stuff that I was talking about earlier either. That's not this preacher talk. The way that we trust God according to this passage, the way that we have faith in the, according to this passage is we trust God and have faith specifically in our relationships by doing the things that are found in these verses. Like what would, it, what would your home look like if you were consistently humbling yourself and not assuming the worst about others but giving them the benefit of the doubt? What would your place of employment look like if you set that environment to where they're always gentle, you're always considerate, and you're showing that meekness? What would it look like with your crazy neighbor that gets all your nerves if you would uh, be more patient with them or if you would forbear others in love? 
you might be thinking, I don't know what that would look like. And to be honest with you, I don't want to know what it looks like because it sounds pretty miserable. You know, it's like those of you that can't stand eggnog and you've never tried it. We talked about that last week, right? Don't knock it till you've tried it. Uh, but you, you look at eggnog and go, I, I don't want to try that stuff. It looks miserable, right? You're missing out. Uh, it looks miserable. I did, for me, it was, it was pulled pork. Anybody like smoked pulled pork? I love smoked pulled pork. I have a smoking obsession, just to be honest with you. I have an electric smoker. I have a big green egg. I have a propane grill, and I have a Weber charcoal grill. So if you need something taken care of, I know a guy, all right? But I've got four of those, and I love to smoke uh, pulled pork, and I've always enjoyed it. But I had people for years tell me, Josh, you need to put coleslaw on your pulled pork sandwich. Now, I'm from the South, so I ought to like coleslaw but I've never liked coleslaw. I don't, you haven't tried my grandma's coleslaw. I don't like your grandma's coleslaw either. I don't want to try it, much less ruin a pulled pork sandwich with coleslaw, because who eats that stuff anyway, right? So for years, I was like, I don't want to try it. I don't want to try it. And I must have been having a weak day, because somebody was like, you need to try it. And I was like, fine, put it on there. I'll take one bite. And I took a bite. Changed my life. How many of you guys have ever had a pulled pork sandwich? You don't have to tell me. I can see the joy on your heart right now. Like, it's, it's amazing. And not just coleslaw. You've got to put the coleslaw and then lather it with all that barbecue sauce. If you never tried it, seriously, you need to go. Put some eggnog on it, too. See what happens. Listen, it's amazing. Like, for the, for the longest time, though, I, so much of my life was wasted because I never put coleslaw on my pulled pork sandwich, right? Because it sounded miserable. Let's be honest. A lot of our relationships have a lot of struggles because we've kept doing what we've always done and we've expected to get a different result. Do you remember that verse we quoted early? 2 Corinthians 5 says this, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Let's try something new in 2024. Let's try letting our relationships match up with where we are in our relationship with Christ. I'm in Christ, and I'm gonna try putting Christ on in the difficult relationships, and I do that by showing lowliness, patience, long-suffering, and forbearing others in love. And as I do that, I can see God begin to change things that I'll never be able to do in my own power. Let's pray together. Thanks again for listening today. Grace Baptist Church exists to help people worship God, connect to others, and serve both. If there's anything at all we can do for you, please reach out to us. You can reach us on Facebook as well as online at experiencegrace.church. Hope you have a great day.